Election season and the lies are flying. He's going to suspend election. He's going to put people in gas chambers. He's going to turn off the internet. He's going to lock up his political opponents. Meanwhile, he is facing a possibility of spending the rest of his life in prison for things we've seen video evidence proving that FBI agents were the instigators of for political gain. And the press? Give me a break. So where do you turn to get the real story? You turn to TNN, the truth news network and dan newman did you ever believe we would find out that our government has purposely for years been checking our speech what we're writing what we're posting what we're saying and then just turn aggressively and force social media to censor anything the government doesn't like about what you say what you write And now, even what you think. Who would have thought 10 years ago we would be having this conversation before the 2024 election? Well, we got to have the conversation. We got to understand. And even after we understand, we can't just sit by and say, oh, woe is me. What are we going to do? And run around in circles. We got to take action. We, the people, must take action. What should that look like? What could it look like? Tell you what, I don't have all the answers to that right now, but I do know one thing. You want to change some things in our government, don't you? I want to change some things in our government. I certainly do. If you're a regular here, you know that. But you know what? If we want to change things in our government, nothing changes if nothing is changed. So what does that mean? What, what can we do, regular, everyday American citizens? What, what can we do? You've got a voice. Raise your voice. You can post on social media. You can write your congressman, congresswoman, your senators. You can even write the president of the United States. How do you do that? It's real easy to find everybody's address, everybody's email address. Go online and find it. And then exercise your First Amendment. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Friday edition of TNN Live. It is a sad day for us here at TNN Live because right now, as we're beginning this program, our correspondent, our photo investigative journalist, Steve Baker, is sitting in Washington, excuse me, sitting in Dallas, Texas, in the FBI's office. They're about to arrest him. They're about to put him in an orange jumpsuit handcuff him, and parade him for a perp walk as they arrest him for doing one thing and one thing only, exercising his First Amendment rights, informing people like you and me about what our government is doing and what our government wants to continue doing to we the people. So we're going to circle the wagons today. Much to get into, great information for you, and things that will open your eyes if they're not already open. Glenn Beck will be here. And of course, Fox News, Jesse Waters is going to be here. Get ready. There's a new sun rising. I can see a new horizon that will keep you realizing. 
Welcome to TNN Live. We're going to share the last day of the work week together, and I consider that an honor and a privilege. Thank you for including us here. 
And as you get set for the weekend, know that while you're getting prepared for what you know is going to happen this weekend, we always know what's going to happen on the weekend because we plan for it. Just know this, a young man you hear here every Tuesday in our second hour, Steve Baker, every Tuesday for about a year and a half, he joins us to talk about the latest happenings in Washington, D.C., He has been waiting, his attorneys have been waiting for two and a half years, waiting for the Department of Justice to send the FBI to arrest him for being, simply being, in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, the day of the so-called insurrection that wasn't an insurrection, and the Department of Justice and the FBI are still calling it an insurrection, but never mind. Let them call it what they want to call it. Nobody's been charged with insurrection. Not a single person. Not a single person has been charged with insurrection that day. Yet, more than 150 are imprisoned today after monkey trials, in which in many cases false evidence was presented as factual by people who have now been proven to have perjured themselves and lied, and those lies in part sent people to jail. Innocent people to jail have destroyed their lives. The same thing is happening this morning. Our own Steve Baker is facing the FBI in Dallas. They informed his attorneys last week they wanted to allow him to self-surrender. But they told him, for him when he comes to surrender at the FBI office in Dallas this morning, to wear shorts and tennis shoes. That's a common thread through all of the J6 persecution arrests. Why so? They're going to do a perp walk with him. That means they're going to make him put on the orange jumpsuit. They'll handcuff him, probably, in front of him. But if they want to go all the way, they'll handcuff his hands behind his back and make him walk while television cameras watch. A guy that they have told, not specific what the charges are, but that he is going to be charged with only misdemeanors. And they're going to make him look to America and the world like he is a world-class criminal, like we watch walk across our border every day. We'll probably get some information during the show today about the details of that. We'll definitely keep you posted. But between now and then, we have so much we need to talk about. Yesterday, both the present current president and the previous president both went to the southern border. And the stark contrast between the two's visits individually to the border, they are exactly an explanation of how each man has handled the southern border on their watch while they were president. How did Donald Trump handle it? He shut the border down. He put all kind of things in place, got the Mexican government to foot a huge bill, 28,000 Mexican military people on the south side of the border to keep people crossing during his administration. They put together, Donald Trump did, a remain in Mexico policy, which meant if you went ahead, you're an illegal and you came across the border and you were accosted and you were applying for asylum, they would let you fill out the form and sign your name, but you couldn't stay in the U.S. waiting for that 
trial for a judge to hear your plea for amnesty, for asylum. They sent you back across the border and you stayed in Mexico awaiting your trial date. Southern border crossings and apprehensions had never been lower in our recent history than under Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Joe Biden comes down there, and yesterday he went to the only spot on the border where hardly anybody is coming across. And he took his television people, his personnel, his Secret Service people, his media people, and when they get there, there's a handful of Border Patrol people. Alejandro Mayorkas flew down with Joe, of course, but nobody was there. And nobody crossed the border yesterday. And this week, this past week, the entire past week, 43 people crossed. Only 43. Now, that should be a good sign. And, of course, Joe tried to turn it into something wonderful that he's done, of course. But the contrast was so stark between the pair, what they both have done and what people that worked for them and currently work for Joe Biden have been very quick and vocal to explain the differences between the atmosphere of working in Border Patrol and Homeland Security under Donald Trump compared to under Joe Biden. There is no comparison. It is a fiasco right now in the Biden administration. We don't know how many million of these illegals are here or what they want, but they're here. And Joe let them in, didn't just let them in, he encouraged them to come in. And they covered it up, they tried to cover it up, they tried to sugarcoat it for years. Three years. Three years. They did nothing about it. And yet, all of a sudden, we have 100,000 people dying of fentanyl poisoning that we've never had before. Didn't happen under Donald Trump. Well, why would it be happening now? Drug traffickers, the cartels in Mexico, in addition to sending these illegal aliens across the border, they're sending tons of illegal drugs, most of which are fentanyl. Fentanyl pills laced with fentanyl poisoning. And each year under Joe Biden, 100,000 young Americans and American adults are dying every year, 100,000 every year from fentanyl poisoning that comes through our southern border. Forget about the people that have been slaughtered. Forget about that nurse that was killed last week. Her head was bashed in by an illegal that had come here twice but was never removed. Think about that little girl down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that last week, a 14-year-old woman raped by an illegal that had been here before, removed before, and is back. But that's all okay. These people aren't bad people. That's what the Democrats tell us. Forget about the 43,000 Texans that in two years each suffered a felony criminal act against them perpetrated by one or two of these illegals. And I said 43,000, I meant 430,000. Murder all the way down for trespassing, mostly serious crimes. 
And Joe Biden wants to be reelected to continue this amazing job that he has done. I want to start this segment of the show and play something stark. It came up yesterday. It happened yesterday. happened at the southern border. Typical day down there in Eagle Pass. Now it's down to a small number of illegals coming over there every day, less than 1,000. So, you know, that would only be 30,000 a month instead of the couple of hundred thousand that have been coming across lately on Joe's watch. But one of these illegals that came across was accosted by a news media person and asked who they are and where they come from and where they're headed. I want you to listen closely to what this illegal Good-looking guy. Looked like he was about 6'5", 6'6", athletic guy, obvious foreign drawl. But listen to what he's asked and listen to how he responds. This is a guy on the border who uh, is answering a reporter's question, where'd you come from? Who are you? And listen to what he says. If you are smart enough, you would know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. Very easy. Wow, very easy. <laughs> the, the entitlement. The entitlement. Uh, no, believe me. I'm much better than that. The entitlement, guys. Oh. And immediately they're saying, oh, entitlement. No, no, that doesn't sound like entitlement. You're much too stupid to know who I am, he says, as he's crossing into America. You're too stupid to know who I am, but soon you will know my name. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I like to hear on our borders. So here's what I want you to do. Turn your volume up. I'm going to play this soundbite again. I want you to listen to the accent this young man speaks with. Listen to what he says, but listen to his accent. And of course, listen to what's behind what he says. Here it is again. This is a guy on the border who uh, is answering a reporter's question, where'd you come from? Who are you? And listen to what he says. If you are smart enough, you would know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. Very easy. Wow, very easy. <laughs> the, the entitlement, the entitlement. Uh, no, believe me, I'm much better than that. The entitlement, guys. Oh. And immediately they're saying, oh, entitlement. No, no, that doesn't sound like entitlement. You're much too stupid to know who I am, he says, as he's crossing into America. You're too stupid to know who I am, but soon you will know my name. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I like to hear on our borders. So guess what I did? I listened to the accent. I listened to it several different times. It's Middle Eastern, obviously. So I turned to old Google, and I loaded that little bit of uh, speech by that guy, and I wanted to find out the source, the nationality, at least based upon the language and the accent the person that was speaking it had. And guess where it comes from? Either Syria or Iraq. Now, maybe it's not either one of those two. Maybe it's some other foreign country, kind of like, I don't know, Iran, Yemen. 
Turkey? It really doesn't matter, does it? That guy was, he was not angry. He didn't look angry. I saw the video. I watched it as Glenn Beck played it. He looked pissed off. He looked very resolute. And he looked like somebody that has been challenged. And they don't want to get into the actual ABCs and Ds of war and conflict talking, responding to, and communicating back to the person that just confronted him like this reporter. But they want to make sure everybody knows they're somebody special. And not only that, soon, he said, soon, you're going to know who he is. That's chilling. And I'm being kind when I say that's chilling. What a way to start a weekend, huh? (laughs) But be honest with yourself. How many has Joe let in? How many have been let in? Eight million? Ten million? Twenty million? Any one of those numbers could be close to it. Because we don't have a number. The Biden administration didn't keep numbers. They purposely didn't keep numbers because they wanted the American people just to ignore all of that and open up your hearts, open up your families, your homes, where you live, and support these people that are coming here just because they want to create a better world for themselves and their families. And you know what? Let's just say for a second we have 10 million extra here since Joe Biden's been president. 10 million. Let's just say 9 million of those 10 million are people that are of that political ilk. We're just coming here to get a better life. The United States, Joe Biden invited us to come here and he's taking care of our housing, our education, our health care, even giving us money to live on. We're so thankful for that. Maybe of the 10 million, 90% of them are good, honest, working people. Maybe it's 9.9 million. It just took 18 to take down the Twin Towers in New York City. It just took 18. I guarantee you, numbered among those millions that have come on Joe Biden's watch, and not just showed up, were invited by this administration and what he has done with his policies and what he has allowed to happen, all of it against the law. Constitutional violations every day. Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, breaking their own federal immigration laws every day, demanding Republicans just write a big blank check, sign it, and hand it over to Joe so he can bring in millions more the same way. Totally refusing to follow the rule of law and to do what any president is supposed to do. Their number one job, number one job is to protect the American people and protect our nation. And he hasn't done that, is not doing it. And it's too late for Joe. He's toast. He will not be reelected. He will not be reelected. I've got a call coming in. I'm not going to take it. 
This is a special day for me because there are so many moving parts that have come together at this, this particular time. This is appropriate. I really think it is. And what even makes it worse is every day we seem to get a follow-up on a story that has happened previously and been reported in one way by the mainstream media, and later we find out, nope, wasn't true. We, not, we don't only have a southern border problem. We have a horrible economic problem. When the Federal Reserve officials met last month, they told us they needed some greater confidence that inflation is moving sustainably down to 2% before they start cutting their interest rates again. Now, that seems reasonable. That's the rate it was at, remember, when Joe Biden became president. Now it's up around 8, 7, 6. It doesn't matter. It was at 2% when Donald Trump was president. We're way, way, way far away from 2%. It'd be an understatement to say that the inflation data released on Thursday, way back on Thursday, yeah, like yesterday, are unlikely to produce an increase in the Fed's confidence. Inflation is rising, and the underlying indicators of price pressure suggest this is unlikely to turn around anytime soon. But yesterday, they were screaming and hollering from the mountaintops. Inflation's down, inflation's down. It's not. It stopped coming down incrementally, very slowly, very, very slowly and has turned around and is going back up, way, way up from where it was when Donald Trump was president. Department of Commerce released its report on personal income and expenditures yesterday. This includes the latest calculation of the personal consumption expenditure price index. What that is is the measure the Fed uses in its 2% target and in the forecast that get published every other meeting in the summary of our economic projections by the Federal Reserve. So this price index rose by 0.3% in January. That's, if you annualize it, that's an inflation rate of 4.2%, which is more than double what the Fed says it needs to be to just be normal. Core price inflation, which excludes food and energy, it rose by 0.4%. Annually, That's a 5.1% inflation rate. Both of those numbers show a massive acceleration of inflation from a month earlier. Didn't hear anything about this from the Biden administration. Janet Yellen, Secretary of Treasury, she should be out there telling us the truth. Nope. They get these fake numbers posted on a Thursday. And that has been revealed to be what they've been doing for three years They give us numbers, employment numbers, inflation numbers that every month seem to be at least okay, if not good. And then we find out later they have overestimated them 90% of the time and the next month, very quietly in the last paragraph, they take it back quietly. Oh, we had to revise it down because it wasn't nearly as good as we thought it was. I don't know why they lied to us and told us it was good because it's not good. That's not the saddest part. The saddest part is we the people, we listen to it, we hear it, and we just let it happen. Very few people are out there beating the drum. 
Very few are. Sadly, as we enter election season, members of Congress are stepping up to the table, getting a little more boisterous and vocal about the bad things that have been happening under Joe Biden. Not all of them, but many of them. And in just a moment, I'm going to let you hear from yesterday in Congress in a hearing, one of Biden's minions whose department has been lying for years about everything they be are being accused of by members of the Republican Party and other Americans that have had enough. You're going to hear people lie again, trying to cover up when they were busted with the facts. You don't want to miss this. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a Bud. You've earned it. Name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions, they're glorious, and their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian, they're spooky, they're um, um, big. And then you go to battle, and it's like, then finally your foe is vanquished, and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh, Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh... Can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, Ooh. can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can uh, I get a... Uh... 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 Go, Bubba, go! Uh... Hey, can I get a... Uh, Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... I just want some kind of wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, I started the show not quite chipper today. I'll just tell you why. Every other day for the last week and a half before the show that morning, my my PT guy comes by, (laughs) physical therapy. I just had shoulder replacement surgery Monday a week ago. And when he comes by, I like the guy. He's really good at what he does, but he hurts me. (laughs) And he uh, he was here (laughs) in studio at a quarter till nine this morning. (laughs) And he had had just finished about 30 minutes of breaking every bone I could think of. No, I'm joking. He didn't, but it felt like it was going to happen. 
So when I started the show, I was aching a little bit, and he kind of insulted me in a way. You have, you know how it is. These young guys. I'm 70. He's probably in his 40s, and he's athletic. Yada yada yada. I used to be athletic. At least I thought I was athletic. But anyway, um, he hurt me a little bit. So, and I'm going to be better for it. It works that way all the time. You know that when. Uh, When you work on something good and you know it's good, you may not like it while it's happening, but um, you know it's going to be for the better. In the long run, it's all going to be better. So what specifically was I referring to? I was referring to this White House, the Biden administration, and what they have done surreptitiously behind the scenes When it first began, they covered it, covered it, covered it. And then all of a sudden, when Republicans started pushing to bring in people from various social media outlets, they found out and presented to the American people that folks in the Biden administration are seriously, purposely, illegally having our free speech censored. And pretty much every time any of them have come before Congress, and they've been blasted. Mainstream media doesn't like to talk about it. Now, think about that. It makes them look bad. It makes them look like they're in cahoots with the likes of Facebook and Twitter and Google and all of the big social media giants. And they don't want the American people to understand that. I listened to a couple of members of Congress question one of these social media experts yesterday. And I listened as this guy was humiliated when he was confronted with something they don't like to see or hear. Facts. Listen to this. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to our witnesses for appearing before us here today. I've heard your last name pronounced a couple of different ways today. How how was it properly pronounced? Seligman. Thank you very much. Seligman? Seligman. Okay, thank you, Mr. Seligman. You stated you are an expert in constitutional law, correct? Yes. Okay, excellent. In your testimony, your written testimony, which was provided to us late last night, uh, it says that, quote, this is your writing, no government official ever threatened any social media platform with adverse action if a platform declined to moderate content flagged by the official or if a platform decided not to take an official's suggestions. Do you stand by your testimony? Yes. Okay. Now, a few minutes ago, just prior, you said that members of the legislative branch don't qualify for this particular statement, despite the fact that you said no government official ever. Does a representative in Congress constitute a government official? Well, let me clarify uh, my testimony uh, from earlier. I don't think that legislative proposals that were brought by Republicans or Democrats constitute uh, threats against social media platforms. Uh, that's true but, whether with respect to Section 230 reform. It's sure. true with respect to antitrust enforcement. So that would then lead us to the natural inclination to believe that you're talking about the executive branch, correct? Uh, uh, being government officials. So government officials like the deputy assistant to the president and director of digital strategy like Robert Flattery or the White House senior advisor like Andrew Slavitt or the NSC staffer Katie Colas or the deputy assistant to the president or the White House digital director or the press secretary for the first lady 
or the NSC Director for Counterterrorism, the Chief of Staff for the Office of Digital Strategy, the Director of Strategic Communication and Engagement, the White House Associate Counsel, Associate Director for Communications, the Deputy Director of Digital Strategy, and the Strategic Director of Digital Communications. Those are government officials, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. And what's so interesting is that all of these members of the executive branch, all of them have communications, thousands of emails between them and Twitter and Meta officials where they demand that posts be taken down and censored. I'll give you a couple of, of examples, and then we'll see if you, you still feel so strongly about your words. January 23rd, three days after the inauguration, at 1.04 a.m., Clark Humphrey of the White House emails Twitter and says, we're flagging this post for you. Hey folks, wanted to flag this tweet, wondering if we can get moving on the process to have it taken down, dot, 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 ASAP. Then on February 7th, an email exchange took place between Twitter and White House Deputy Assistant to the President and Director of Digital Strategy, Rob Flattery, and asked for the steps that he could take to, quote, streamline the process for the White House's demands for Twitter censorship. Then two days later, on February 9th, 2021, he follows up again with Facebook with a more aggressive demand for more information, along with an accusation that would be repeated many times in the future, that Facebook was failing to censor speech, uh, to censor speech on its platform, and it was causing, quote, political violence. Fast forward, you have March 15th, White House senior advisor then made an ominous statement threatening unspecified executive action against Facebook in retaliation for Facebook's perceived lack of cooperation with the White House's list of demands that have been documented and will be inserted into the record for this hearing on censorship of, quote, borderline content. The line that I think is particularly troubling is saying, Internally, we have been considering our options on what to do about it. Do you consider that to be non-threatening? I'm not familiar with the particular documents that you're referring to. I just um, read you multiple examples. Yes, and so I don't think that emphatic expressions of the concern, their concerns about the problem of misinformation is a threat. I don't. So when President Biden says that social media companies are killing people and then there is a direct line from the White House to the social media companies demanding posts be removed, going so far as to say there has to be a quick and devastating takedown, a published takedown, that is not a threat? I don't believe so. Wow. I also don't believe it wow. was when President I, Trump I am, comments about uh, social media. I'm so media glad we have this on the record. Uh, again, my apologies to you, sir, for what you've had to endure here today. But with that, I yield back. Thank you. The gentlelady's time's expired. Uh, chair recognizes Ms. Hageman, Wyoming, for five minutes. Thank you. Um, Mr. Sauer, uh, you and, and your colleagues have truly provided a great service to this nation by exposing what we can rightfully describe as the surveillance industrial complex, the censorship industrial complex, the corruption industrial complex. Take your pick. Your testimony today is stunning, as is your written statements, and I encourage everyone to read the information that you have provided. Um, the breadth and scope of this vast censorship complex is stunning and extends from the halls of Congress to the executive branch to the office of the President of the United States. 
As the last, one of the last questioners today, I want to give you the opportunity to speak directly to the American public. And I'd like you to give us examples of just one or two takeaways that you believe are paramount as we continue our work and as we seek to hold this administration and these uh, corrupt government hacks accountable for their blatant violation of the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. I would emphasize maybe two or three points. First, federal censorship activities are not in retreat. They are expanding. Federal executive officials are expanding the topics on which they seek censorship. It's expanding to more and more agencies, and it's expanding to any social media platform they can reach to. So we are not in a situation where this is something that occurred in the past. We have overwhelming evidence that it's growing and growing and growing, and there's little indication that there will ever be any voluntary relinquishment of the power to dictate what ordinary Americans can say on social media. So it's a problem that is growing. It's a looming threat. A second point that I would make is that censorship, as I said in my opening statement, both now and every other time when there's been censorship throughout human history, is not about truth. It is about political power. It's about obtaining power. It's about preserving power. And it's about expanding power. And the evidence of this, again, is overwhelming. You see it right there in the documents, some of which were just quoted. You see the White House saying, what we really want you to take down, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth, is borderline content. Borderline content that's described in the emails is often true. It's often true. It involves core political speech. We want you to take that down because that is what is most effectively undermining the narratives that we want to be out there on social media. That's an egregious violation of the First Amendment. It is viewpoint discrimination. I would also point out that Many of the comments that have been made on the other side today have said we can't let there be misinformation on social media because a tiny minority of the hundred million people who might see it might take it and do something bad. You might call that the minority report approach to the First Amendment. It's absolute poppycock. It turns the First Amendment absolutely on its head. The, 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 the promise of the First Amendment is that no official high or petty will be able to dictate what Americans do. Americans can make their own opinions. They are adults. They can read the evidence. They can form their own factual opinions and their own, and their own opinions. And, and that is the core and the heartland of the First Amendment, which we see radically perverted, radically perverted in the communications between the White House and virtually every other federal agency that's discussed in my extensive written testimony. I would also emphasize censorship does not make Americans safer. It does not make them healthier. And it does not protect our democracy. Censorship is what kills, not freedom. Freedom is what preserves our liberty. Freedom is what makes us safe and healthy as a society. So this notion that we've got to have censorship because it's going to be a threat to our democracy. What could be more anti-democratic than federal censorship dictating what ordinary Americans can say on social media? The First Amendment and social media radically democratize speech. The First Amendment is the most pro-democratic political statement in history, perhaps, because what it says is every ordinary citizen can decide for themselves without interference from federal officials as to what is what their opinion is. And we can participate in a free market ideas with freedom of expression, freedom of association to engage in that. And that's what we see under direct assault by a whole army of federal officials in this case. And finally, I would emphasize that this should not be a partisan issue. 
Censorship violates the First Amendment no matter what viewpoint federal officials are going after. Everyone, everyone in this chamber should oppose the sorts of pressure, collusion, uh, uh, deception, all the things you see in our evidence in this case. Federal officials should not be in the business of saying what Americans can and cannot say on social media. And those are the conclusions that I would offer the American people. Well, and again, thank you for, for what you have just described. Uh, what an incredible summary and a statement of where we are in this country. We appreciate what you've done, what you've been willing to expose. And with that, I yield back. You know, we cringe when we turn the television on and go through C-SPAN. C-SPAN 1, C-SPAN 2, that's one that covers the House. The other covers the Senate. About how boring and unimportant and wasteful is the time and money that we, the taxpayers, are paying for these kind of hearings. But the kind of hearing you just heard exposed that our government currently in power, the Joe Biden administration, has weaponized its own Department of Justice and a bunch of sub-departments below that to purposefully violate the First Amendment rights of everyday American people. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. It's in your face every day. We hear about it. We hear and see people complaining on national television shows, talk shows. And so what do we do? We just start surfing to find out where the latest version of Andy Griffith is playing. Oh my God, we the people own this company, country, at least we used to, and we're giving it away to the people that want it worse than we do. Why? Because they can use it. They've learned how they can use it for personal benefit, to amass more power and authority, and of course with that comes more money. And to be able to effectively pull this coup off, they have to keep us asleep for a little bit longer. So when we wake up and we realize they are stealing all of our liberties and freedoms and our rights out from under us, and by the time that happens, it's too late. Our freedoms and liberties that we took for granted for so long have been erased. And that, what you just heard, is just in one little area. Let me point out another one. You know who Senator Bernie Sanders is. He's technically an independent from Vermont, but he's a far, far, far left Democrat. He, now this is not government specifically, but it is government that he wants to empower to do something. He is gunning for American sodas and snacks in a letter he wrote to the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, asking that warning labels be placed on them. Now, That's benign. There's nothing wrong with that. If there's something bad in it, people that are going to drink or eat it, they should know, right? Well, yeah, that is the case. But he wants to determine what the so-called unhealthy foods that he wants labeled, he wants the government to determine which ones are unhealthy. Now, when you talk about the government, would be the ones that would do that. What branch of the government? Well, look at the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. I'm going to tell you something that will make your pants drop to the floor. 
I don't want to watch when that happens. But did you know this great, great organization, the Food and Drug Administration, these are the people that regulate medicine. You know, they make sure that everything that we're putting in each other's arms in the way of medicine, taking, whatever, is good, 100% good, proven to be good, and is healthy and righteous for every American. Now, the big latest thing that we've heard about now for three years, vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. And, of course, I remember the time when we we got a early morning clap your hand on all of the television networks when finally it appeared one of the COVID-19 vaccines had been fully approved by the FDA. Nobody read this fine print. At least nobody but TNN Live read the fine print. That vaccine was not fully approved by the FDA. It was conditionally approved to be used in emergency use only status. Now, what does that mean? I'll get into that in just a second. Here's what's going to blow your mind. Do you know that every vaccine that we take today, that our kids have had jabbed in their arms on sugar cubes to eat in their butts since I was a kid, and I was a kid, I was born in 53, so you know how old I am. I'm 70 years old. Not one, not a single vaccine has ever been fully approved by the Food and Drug Administration. You're kidding, Dan. No, test it out. Oh, there's approval there, but it's limited approval. Now, why would they do that? Well, who makes all these medications, vaccines? Who makes them? Private companies, not our government. The people don't have any say-so in it, except by buying stock in companies. There we go. Stock, that means money, right? Yeah. The EUA tag, the FDA EUA. Emergency use authorization was created for one purpose, and here it is. And what do we always tell you? If you see the government doing something, not doing something, talking about something they're thinking about doing, the driving thing in all of it is always follow the money. Moderna's vaccine. It hasn't been fully approved by the FDA. Pfizer, same thing. They're all in emergency use access only. As long as any medication stays in that category, if your kid or you take that drug, the specific drug that they're talking about, and you die or you have horrible adverse reactions to it, and you think, man, They kill my father, my mom, my baby is maimed for life. I'm going to sue them till the cows come home. Well, you can't sue the pharmacy company. Well, why not? 
that drug wasn't fully approved. You were supposed to read the fine print before you authorized the doctor to jab it into your baby's arm or butt. And as long as it's not fully approved, the pharmacy companies are not responsible. So there's only one place you can go to get any action done to force somebody to pay you for the horrors that they enacted with this medicine on you, your kids, your parents, your in-laws. And who would that be? You'd have to sue the federal government. And did you know if you go that route, you know what it costs today to even get to file a federal suit against a department of the federal government? Do you know what the minimum cost is? Just to open the case, hundred grand. You got an extra 100 G in your pocket? So Bernie Sanders wants the FDA to place warning labels on some of American sodas and snacks. He wants so-called unhealthy foods to be labeled so it will alert consumers that they could get type 2 diabetes or become obese from their favorite drinks, desserts, and snacks. And of course, what would automatically happen if that happened, the move will potentially raise prices. Sanders wrote to FDA Commissioner Robert Califf earlier this month, and he did so in his capacity as chairman of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, and he wrote to ask for the agency's implementation of, quote, strong front-of-package labels, so that all consumers, especially children, can understand which products are harmful to their health. Sanders didn't specify what design the label should have, but in that letter to Califf, he supported designs similar to those in several Latin American countries that have been proposed by the Pan American Health Organization. They look like stop signs, shaped labels. And they're intended to inform consumers that certain products contain high amounts of salt, saturated fats, sugar, and calories. And here's kind of a catch thing caught my eye. The labels would have a high probability of being black, since that is what other countries employ. It's also what the World Health Organization is pushing. The CDC estimates that nearly 20% of our children and adolescents between the ages of 2 and 19, that's almost 15 million people, are medically obese. Nearly 42% of adults over 20 are obese, with over 9% being severely obese. The CDC has not collected data on obesity since 2020 because of our pandemic. The FDA can and must do more to ensure that Americans, especially children, teens, and their parents, understand the health risk associated with the consumption of these unhealthy and ultra-processed foods. Other major countries around the world have moved forward aggressively in this area. There is no reason why the United States is lagging so far behind. Now, here's a caveat on this and you'll understand where I'm going. Just putting a note on a can of soda soda, or a package of barbecue chips or candies, is that going to stop any of this from happening? No, 
It's not. And that's not what Bernie Sanders wants to see happen. He wants to regulate it. He wants to force it. He wants for there to be somebody, not a mom or a dad, but somebody in the government that has the authority to rule over not all of these labels, but how the labels are presented in what format to the American public and penalties that would be levied if anybody disagrees with this because it would be coming from the FDA. So we have to listen to the FDA, those people that will tell us, yeah, we formally approved that drug, only later to find out, no, we never did. It's just kind of approved, just kind of okay. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent Conversation. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. We just heard a little bit ago about some uh, government um, censoring of Americans' First Amendment rights. I'm sure you've kept up with, at least in small part, to what's going on with AI, artificial intelligence. There's one in particular that is just kind of um, the forefather of all this. Google. The rebrand of Google Bard to Gemini. It may have helped transition the artificial intelligence chatbot toward a broader use functionality, whatever you want to call it but it couldn't cover the stain of its creations or the bias of the minds that are behind it. Remember, artificial intelligence, what does that mean? Somebody is creating the quote-unquote intelligence that is within it. That means somebody or somebodies would include a bunch of different people that have a bunch of different opinions about a bunch of different things, but when they input it into the artificial intelligence, 
guess what happens? It all becomes part of a pie. And because it is so much ahead of you and me, we've got to take whatever it tells us about anything we reach into to get some information, some facts. we got to believe what AI tells us, right? Hmm. The rebrand may have helped transition the intelligence chatbot toward its broader functionality. But it was messed up before it was ever really started in the laboratory. Scrambling executives from Google couldn't move fast enough to make their social media accounts private as stocks for parent company Alphabet dropped to a value of over $70 billion. A chief offender from Google was Gemini Experience's Senior Director of Product Management, Jack Krosick, who routinely shared his views on systemic racism, climate change, crying after voting in the 2020 presidential election. So some body, not some piece of intelligence, some body named Jack Krosick is the one that determine what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, and it was programmed in to this product. White privilege is effing real. Don't be an a-hole and act guilty about it. Do your part in recognizing bias at all levels of egregious. That was part of an April 2018 post as another from after President Joe Biden's inauguration contended the address was one of the greatest ever for acknowledging systemic racism and reiterating the American ideal is the dream for the world. But we need to work on ourselves to earn it. I've been crying intermittently burst from the past 24 hours since casting my ballot, filling in that Biden-Harris line felt cathartic. That was written by Krawczyk after early voting in 2020. The senior director's post came to light after Jim and I appeared to virtually erase white people from existence as nearly every prompt introduced generated images of other races and other ethnicities, even for historical figures like President George Washington that made him look black. Now think about little kids when they're watching and listening and reading and looking at this stuff. They just see, they hear, they watch, and they automatically default to, well, you know, that's a book. That's a story from the Internet. I guess, I guess it's true. The impact of the inherent biases in the AI truly manifested by market close on Monday of this week, Alphabet stock lost roughly 4.4% to end at $137.57 a share, which is the equivalent of losing more than $70 billion in value in one day. And then by midday on Wednesday, the stock floated around $137 and 30 cents after another drop when markets open. Krasik wasn't alone in vocalizing his leftist ideologies at Clement Forebit, 
vice president of research for Google DeepMind, the lab behind Gemini's creation, had also been noted for celebrating the election of Biden before he too locked his account. Wow, what a beautiful day for American and for the world, for women, for minorities, for our children, and really for anyone who's not a selfish a-hole. He posted to social media on November 7, 2020. Likewise, Google AI ethics and compliance advisor Jen Gunnar gave a keynote address in 2021 where she recounted her own inclusion failure. And she lamented, I treated every member of my team the same and expected that would lead to equally good outcomes for everyone. That was not true. I always state both groups I'm a member of and support as well as those I am more of a mentor and sponsor of to ensure that it doesn't look like I'm othering others. She said that after she aired her offense. Othering. O-T-H-E-R-I-N-G. Hadn't heard the word before, but I'm going to remember it forever. I don't ever want to catch you doing othering. (laughs) In addition to taking the image generator offline after this backlash, with a plan to relaunch on the horizon, Krawczyk told the media this, we're working to improve these kinds of depictions immediately. Gemini's AI image generation does generate a wide range of people, and that's generally a good thing because people around the world use it, but it's missing its mark here. Have you noticed none of these people, when they get in these things and they're exposed, they don't ever tell us or explain why they didn't do years of focus group research and experimentation to make sure these things don't happen, like othering. They have no intention of ever getting to the root and getting anything straight. All this stuff is being created and programmed to be a representation of whatever political perspective they have at the time. And they know that if that's not good three, five, ten years down the road, all they have to do is go in and change some coding and make it what works in their opinion five or ten years from now. You put that in this old thing we've been dealing with, equality, equality, and equity. That's why they default to equity. Equality only gives everybody the right to do or achieve something. Equity means that somebody else is arbitrarily given the power and the authority to make whatever they want to make be equal and for who it's supposed to be. See, that way it can be manipulated by people and you always want to be the manipulator and you never want to be the (laughs) other-er. Oh my gosh. President Biden, he's got his thumb on the pulse of the world, doesn't he? I mean, he is a wonder. The Department of Health and Human Services, we are told, is spending millions on encouraging racially diverse trans women in New Orleans and to take PREP, which is an HIV prevention medication. This is kind of wild. HHS pledged about $2 bucks to Public Health Foundation Enterprises 
that's a public health nonprofit based in California. It's known now as Haluna Health. And they did so to develop, implement, and measure the impact of a social media campaign that's aimed at increasing the awareness of HIV prevention medications among trans women, but only in New Orleans. That's according to a federal grant listing. The goal of the program, which will include a year-long test run serving 200 trans women. Wait a minute. If you call them trans women, isn't that an insult? How, how do you know they identify as a woman? You're going to misgender them. You're going to other them. You're going to be the bad guy. The goal, they say, is to adapt promising trans-specific HIV interventions to meet the HIV prevention needs of those trans women in New Orleans, the Crescent City. HHS dubbed the program, quote, Increasing PrEP, P-R-E-P, Awareness, Uptake, and Adherence Through Healthcare Empowerment and Addressing Social Determinants of Health along and among racially diverse trans women in the Deep South. That's a title. (laughs) I'm telling you, listen to this. This is all one title. Prep awareness, uptake, and adherence through healthcare empowerment and addressing social determinants of health among racially diverse trans women in the Deep South. Put that on the test. It's a tax-funded program. I know that shocks you. It began in September of 21, will run through July of 26. The most recent payment associated with the program was made by HHS in September of 2023. 46% of trans women in NOLA, that's the short version for New Orleans, NOLA, tested positive for HIV when examined by Health and Human Services. The Louisiana Department of Health found in 2019 that gay black men and transgender women had the highest rates of HIV infection in the state. A 2015 survey conducted by the National Center for Transgender Equality found that 19% of respondents reported being involved in sex work, with the rate for black transgender women being even higher, sitting at about 42%. Prostitutes are increased at increased risk of contracting and spreading HIV, according to the CDC. Transgenderism has received significant attention from HHS since President Biden took office in 2021. They're spending $1.4 million on a study that will stretch into 2027 to help transgender people cope with COVID-19-related stress. Now, wait a minute. I'm an old, straight, white guy. I'm dealing with horrible stress. Will HHS come in and do a $1.4 million study that will stretch into 2027 and help me cope with my related stress? The department also spent $160,000 on a study looking at how parents can better affirm their kids' gender and almost 700 grand to develop a national program to stop transgender boys, oh my gosh, from getting pregnant. (laughs) Oh no. Oh my gosh. 
I wasn't going to say anything about that, but I've been doing some really intense investigation on the lingo, the political lingo about the important things, the things that are make or break it things in our American political system today. Roe v. Wade, it's gone. So what did we replace it with? The Supreme Court screwed it up. They messed it up. They threw it back to the state. So we got 50 states. Inevitably, we're going to have 50 different versions of what can and cannot be done, if anything can be done at all regarding rape and abortions and a bunch of other stuff that's all tied together. For years now, for years and years and years, I hear all the time when the Roe v. Wade, the abortion conversation begins, well, they need to at least have some exceptions in any law or any rule they implement because it can't be absolute. Look, if sometimes when a, a woman gets pregnant, there's a point where they're going to have to perform an abortion on that baby because if not, the mother's going to die. I've heard that for decades and decades and decades. Ask me how long I spent last night digging I spent exhaustive numbers of hours over a long period of time pulling together, looking for research, looking for real information, documented, verifiable information. And what I'm going to tell you now will blow your mind. There is not one specific case in medical history in the United States of America where a woman that was pregnant had to be removed or relieved from her child in her womb to keep the woman from dying. Not one instance. Well, we've always got to keep that as a possibility. Abort the baby to save the life of the mother. It's never happened. Wow. You mean somebody grossly misrepresented things. They've been doing it purposely. And through the years, every once in a while, somebody that is a real doctor, a real medical expert, will come forward and try to push back on that mislabeling of this thing. And they just get kicked to the curb and slapped around. And they get deplatformed for saying it. How dare they come out and say that? It's a fact. Give us some evidence that proves otherwise. That's all I'm asking. If it's real, Hey, I can't imagine how horrible it would be for a parent or parents to have to make a determination of one of two people, a baby in the womb of the mother has got to die so the other can live. And somebody, when I said that, that heard me, they said, well, there's got to be an example of it. I'm ready. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. If it's factual, I'll accept it. But it's got to be factual. It can't just be somebody coming up and saying, well, I heard about this. No, I want a real professional to give me the examples and all the details. If it happened, I'll sign on to it. Now, do I know anything about abortion? Personally, I'm a biological male, so you know I don't. I've fathered three children, and I've watched six grandchildren, and of late, in fact, a week ago, I watched 
my first great-grandchild be born. I've been on the watching end of all of that. So I can't say I know firsthand. But I'm, first of all, not stupid. Secondly, I started a medical billing company 32 years ago. We've, through the years, through the decades, we've had thousands, tens of thousands of doctors in every medical field you can imagine across the United States and some in Canada. Every kind of hospital, every kind of clinic, every kind of private practice where we manage their reimbursement, which means we bill, which means our experts, our certified coders, our billing insurance companies and Medicare and Medicaid for the specific work, medical work that these doctors did on these patients, we've never seen a single case of this. And probably over 32 years, it's several million cases that we have handled. I'm still not willing to say I know factually, but what I am saying is I've seen no evidence that backs that up. Oh, by the way, I understand when parents lose a baby. I lost a granddaughter. Our youngest daughter and her husband, Corey and Scott, they waited six years after they got married to get pregnant. They got pregnant. We were so excited. They were going to have a little girl. Her name was Emerson. Found out months into the pregnancy that Emerson had what is called Turner syndrome. That means it's a chromosomal abnormality, which means seldom does one of those babies live. But even if they live, they're going to be extremely morphed and in horrible condition for their lives. We prayed. We trusted God. But God had different plans. <sighs> Corey had to carry that baby to term. I can only imagine how somebody that is facing, do I need, do I want, do I want to deal with all of the good, the bad, and the ugly that goes along with having an abortion? I can only imagine that. I couldn't personally be involved in taking that life. And yes, I'm a pro-lifer. I believe based upon the book of Jeremiah and a bunch after that, I'm based upon and live and believe The Bible is true. God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He was talking to the prophet Jeremiah. How could that possibly have happened if Jeremiah wasn't alive in the womb? But just forget about that for a second. Here's a question I don't want to ask anybody. Do you want to end up at the end of your life, wherever you're going to go, whatever you're going to face, whoever you're going to face, with even there being a possibility of you facing God and God saying, you had an abortion. Why did you kill that baby? Why did you kill my baby? Are you willing to accept those consequences if you find out at the end of the day that you were wrong? Dadgummit, I'm sorry I was wrong. Well, 
the baby you killed may be standing there beside God looking at you with tears in their eyes saying, why did you kill me, Mama? Why did you kill me, Daddy? It's not worth rolling the dice to me. That's my opinion. Everybody's built differently. May be okay with some of you, but I'm not going to take that chance. And I want everybody to know the good, the bad, and the ugly, the possible, the probable, and what's not probable, and what's not possible. As much information as possible, but at the end of it, I'm going to come down on the side of life. We trusted God. We buried that little girl at our church. At our church, there's a wing, a building. It's, it's named the Emerson Center after Emerson Shirley, our little girl that was never born. But there's good news. Scott and Corey refused to blame God. Thirteen months later, they gave birth to Grace Emerson and Emmeline, twin daughters, my twin granddaughters, both graduating from high school, and we're going to New Orleans in the morning to watch Grace play in a state all-star soccer game, recognizing her ability as one of the best girl soccer players in the state of Louisiana. And by the way, full scholarship to East Texas Baptist University next year. God's good. God's good all the time. Mr. Rippermorph? Yes, Dorothy? A reporter and crew from New Center 7. Wastebusters are here to see you, sir. New Center 7? Wastebusters. They expose mind-boggling waste of taxpayers' money right here in the Miami Valley. What do they want with me? They said you sold the government a ballpoint pen, sir. So? For $1,000. Well, it came with refills. And a jar of paper clips for $2,000. They were multicolored paper clips. Uh-huh. Red ones, blue ones. What should I tell the Wastebusters, sir? Do they have lights and cameras? And the ballpoint pen, sir. Tell them I went out my window, down the fire escape, and then booked down the street screaming like a madman. I don't think they'll believe that, sir. Mr. Rippemoff? Uh-oh. Watch New Center 7 expose government waste right here in the Miami Valley and see the Waste Busters in action. You can't escape them, sir! They're the Waste Busters! New Center 7 Waste Busters. Weeknights at 6. Coverage you can count on. They'll find him. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... (laughs) Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. For over 75... (laughs) What are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Gecko. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. 
Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. With all the news about everything happening down at the southern border yesterday, and uh, we've got the trials pending. I don't even know how many more there are left regarding trying to do anything and everything to get uh, Donald Trump disqualified from being president. Besides all that noise, there was some... uh, very important stuff that was going on yesterday. In Congress, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin appeared before a congressional panel, a hearing, to discuss all the pluses and minuses, if there are any pluses, with his physical condition back in December, which resulted in him not telling anybody he was going into the hospital for surgery, kept it from everybody, not just the White House, But his number two in command, the person that, if the Secretary of Defense goes down, steps up to take over the job, she didn't even know about it for a week. So he made some bad choices. And he appeared yesterday before a committee. And I'll watch one part of it. Let me just say this about Lloyd Austin. If you're a regular, you know I don't have high um, senses of feeling regarding the professional actions taken by Lloyd Austin since he's been political in the military. I didn't know anything about him before he became a uh, political general. He was over CENTCOM, which is the, uh, uh, the entire U.S. military and Europe and the Middle East. He was over that when Benghazi happened. He's one that made one of the decisions that allowed those four brave Americans to be slaughtered on the streets of Benghazi that night because SEAL Team 6 was in the air in a helicopter wanting to land to go save these guys, get them out immediately, and he held them, would not let them land. And a bunch of other stuff, I don't need to get into that. But he's made some really bad choices as Secretary of Defense. A bunch of them came during COVID-19. Remember... There was a provision that was allowed members of the military that wanted to not get a COVID-19 vaccination because of religious purposes, and thousands of those people in the military filed that particular application, and he accepted none of them and kicked thousands of people out of the military just because they had not been COVID-19 vaccinated. And when it became evident and that rule of his was reversed, he refused to even say anything like, I'm sorry. Well, yesterday, the defense secretary was confronted by Matt Gates, Florida congressman, about this very thing. Matt Gates kind of put it in really good perspective. Listen to this. You didn't tell the president that you had cancer, that you were being treated for cancer, or that the treatment for that cancer had gone wrong because you saw it as personal and medical. And I think a lot of us have empathy for you in that regard. 
But now that you see how personal medical decisions are, will you call for the re-recruitment, restoration of full rank and back pay for the 8,600 service members who were vax mandated out of the military? Uh, No, I won't. So on March 4th, 2021, you authored a memo. It was entitled Message to the Force. And in that memo, you said that there would be clear and swift accountability for anyone who didn't meet the highest standards of the Department of Defense. Now, however this worked out, we all acknowledge that what you did here didn't meet the highest standards, right? You made a mistake. I admit it to you. Yeah, okay, so we got that. So then the question is, what becomes the the clear and swift accountability? Now, you're not going to be discharged, right? No? That's right. Okay, you're you're not going to be suspended. You're not going to be demoted, and you're not going to have your pay cut. None of those things are going to happen to you, right? That's right. Okay, so you come here seeking some grace and some forgiveness. And I want you to know that one of the service members who you've axed mandated out of the military sent me the parable of the unforgiving debtor. And it's in the book of Matthew, uh, it's verses uh, 21 to 35. The man fell down before his king and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay all the debt. Then his master, filled with pity for him, released him and forgave him of his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded payment. His fellow servant sat down and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called the man who had been forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Mr. Secretary, you come to us seeking forgiveness, but you offer none. And it seems as though the pattern is repeated. You make a mistake, like on the VAX mandate and here regarding your notification, then you get busted. President Biden had to sign something into law reversing your your VAX mandate. You got busted here, not because you came forward, but because we learned of this through other means. And then after you get busted making a mistake, you know, you want, you want that benefit but you don't want to extend it to others. Um, This isn't swift or clear. You're not meeting your own standards that you set for yourself. And you say that the DOD is a learning organization. Haven't you learned yet that the military is weaker, not stronger, with the 8,600 people that you've axed mandated out of the military? Uh, Just one point, uh, uh, Congressman. The reason I'm here is because the chairman requested that I appear to, to uh, um, talk about the circumstances surrounding uh, my hospitalization. But don't you see the hypocrisy in it? Because you screwed up, we fix your screw-up, and now you want grace, but these people who have sought res- religious exemptions, they got no such grace. And also, I just think it's ridiculous that we're in three wars, you went AWOL for three days, and we get two hours with you. If you can't spend more than two hours answering these questions, I don't know how you really operate in all these wars. That's pretty cold. That's pretty demonstrative and pretty obvious at that particular point. Lloyd Austin 
He's one of those two-tier justice guys. He's a huge fan of it. How do you know that, Dan? Do you know the guy? No, I don't, but I, I watch what he did. I watch what he does. You just heard what he had to say about it. He should have been fired. You do realize that. Him not letting anybody know in the middle of two and maybe three wars happening at the time, the Secretary of Defense is out of commission. He's having surgery, which means he's unconscious. And he didn't even tell anybody it was going to happen. He didn't prepare anybody to step in and replace him while he was gone. And he expects everybody to just blow that off. Oh, I'm Lloyd Austin. I'm Joe Biden's Secretary of Defense. I'm an African-American guy. You can't make me be held to the same account as anybody else because I'm different. I'm better than they are. And Matt Gates gives him a very applicable biblical example of how it worked there and what happened to the guy that did the exact theme that Lloyd Austin is doing now. They're screaming and crying for people in the military. He kicked 8,300 people out of the military, not because they hadn't done the right stuff, hadn't prepared, hadn't been through the learning process, weren't doing their jobs. It's because he said, you've got to be vaccinated. He's not a doctor. He's another one of those people, those hardcore sycophants that took the opinion of Anthony Fauci who demanded You've got to follow the science, and I'm Anthony Fauci. I'm the science. I'm the one that says if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to die. If you don't get vaccinated, you're going to peel, uh, kill other people around you. And he was wrong. He lied. He knew the truth, and he lied. Lloyd Austin singularly determined, I'm not going to do the right thing in this case. I don't have to notify anybody what's going on. And I'm not going to, even my boss. And then he demands he has no accountability. That man should not even be allowed to wear anything that symbolizes the United States of America in any way because what he did speaks far louder than what he says. Two-tier justice system. How can they do that? I'm Joe Biden. I can do whatever I want to do. And there's another little hanger on there that's kind of applicable about a story today. Democrat California Governor Gavin Newsom. He has pushed for an exemption that would enable top donor and Panera Bread franchisee, Greg Flynn. Gavin got him an exemption that will circumvent the state's new minimum wage law. Flynn owns about two dozen Panera restaurants, that chain out in California. And oh, by the way, he wrote a small check, 100 grand to help Newsom ward off a recall effort and 65,000 to the governor's reelection campaign in 2022. California's new minimum wage law will raise workers' pay from $16 to $20 an hour at fast food restaurants with more than 60 locations nationally, but there's an exception in it. Listen to this. The exception is 
for chains that bake and sell standalone bread as a menu item. And that had to be in place by September 15, 2023. Just another little bitty. Flynn also attended the same high school as Newsom outside of San Fran. When Newsom was a freshman, Flynn was a senior. The two have business connections dating back as far as 2014 when Flynn bought a resort in Napa Valley from Newsom's company. And in that same year, Newsom reported income from Flynn's company. The contract that Newsom profited from began under previous owners, was not renewed after about a year in Flynn's ownership of the asset. In September of 23, Newsom was asked why bread makers like Panera and Boudin Sourdough Bakery were receiving special exemptions in the law, with the governor telling reporters that the provision's inclusion was part of the sausage-making of the bill and that it's the nature of negotiation. No, 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 no. It was for two specific places. Both of them I know personally. Boudin Sourdough Bakery initiated in South Louisiana. It's sitting on Fisherman's Wharf now. Panera is all over California. That provision was done to give Flynn a chance to save millions of dollars because he's not paying his employees the minimum wage in California because they sell bread and not as part of a sandwich or anything. It's a, it's a separate menu item. Flint tried even before this all happened to have Panera not be considered as a fast food restaurant. He argued it was a fast casual chain. I don't have any idea what the difference is. The Service Employees Union, which was orchestrating the drive for the bill, they later decide instead to create this breadmaker carve-out to convince Newsom to sign the bill because of his, Newsom's, relationship with Flynn. Now, do you think something like this should go to court? <laughs> if you don't think so... Oh my gosh, you've never been in business for yourself, or if you have, you lost your shirt. Because that's just plain stupid, so obvious. Playing with politics, and that's exactly why millions of Americans hate to even talk about politics to this day. And why so many people, including most of you listening right now, you love to come here because we just talk about facts. We give you our opinions. And you always know when what I say is an opinion and what's fact. But here's a novel idea. Why don't we all begin to make our opinions be the factual things that we reveal to other people that we find out and we prove for ourselves. If we want to get us out of this hole that we're in, and we're in a deep, deep, dark place as a nation, it's going to take you and me and a bunch of other Americans that are willing to pay the price to get the facts back up at the top of the page not buried down on page number 93, section X. We've got to let stuff that's happening be known when it's really good, but when it's really bad also, and who the players are and why. We need to start demanding those in a power and authoritative position over us 
are doing what they are supposed to do, not according to their friendships or their business partners or affiliations, but according to the people's laws, the rules that we the people have those put in place that represent us in government at every level, local, state, and U.S., and make them do the right thing and hold them accountable when they don't. You know, I've been enjoying watching this Fonnie Willis debacle, soap opera, whatever you want to call it, that's going on in Atlanta, Georgia. All just another one of the feathers that uh, Jack Smith, Joe Biden's bulldog prosecutor, special counsel, whatever you want to call him, he's the one that's going after Donald Trump on Joe Biden's behalf, and he's throwing all kinds of mud at the wall, hoping he can get something to stick. So he's the one that got Fanny down in Atlanta, who was nothing more than a state district attorney, to put this case together to go after Donald Trump for fiddling with the election results, the 2020 election results by Trump down in Florida. All allegations, none of it proven. And there is no factual evidence that's been presented to anybody in any forum that proves that it it, it really was Donald Trump trying to cheat. And we've told you every day, Fannie and her boyfriend went to meet with the Biden people twice in D.C. at the White House before any charges were filed. Why would a state attorney general, why would a state person go to the White House to discuss a specific case before anything was ever filed against Donald Trump. Planning, preparing, and putting ammunition in place to do anything and everything necessary to keep the orange man from getting back to the White House. Well, sadly for Fannie, this whole case in her career as DA in Fulton County, Georgia, is in big-time danger, and it may be over. So the very interesting fight to remove Georgia DA Fonnie Willis as the acting prosecutor in the state RICO case against Donald Trump keeps getting stranger and stranger. Joining me now to talk about it is Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett. Well, now we are hearing that Fonnie Willis and her very highly paid or very well-paid uh lover, assistant, and various other things were apparently getting it on before he was hired, uh, contrary to what they said under oath. Uh, Is that enough to remove them from this case? Oh, I think absolutely it is. And, you know, David, like the picture of Dorian Gray, Willis is self-destructing before our very eyes. Her own misbehavior has ruined her credibility, and, you know, her case against Trump is disintegrating. Her testimony, together with her lover, Nathan Wade, and his ex-partner, Terrence Bradley, I mean, that was a Three Stooges slapstick (laughs) comedy. But Bradley's testimony this week may have been the nail in the coffin. He once texted that Willis and Wade were absolutely having an affair before Wade was hired, which puts a lie to their sworn statements earlier So based on the code of ethics, I think the judge really has no choice here. He should disqualify both Wade and Willis. And then the question is, where does the case go from there? Uh, If it's so tainted 
other prosecutors may decide we're not going to we're going to dismiss the charges. And and the the real question, Larry's been saying this over and over again. He doesn't care who or when he, any one of these people was sleeping with each other. The main question is what what was what were they doing with the White House? For example, all these trips that yeah. that uh, Nathan Wade took down to the White House that he was paid for, by the way, through. I guess through uh, the taxpayers of Georgia. Uh, I mean, what was that about? And if there was, if they were being instructed by somebody in the White House as to how to carry things off, because Nathan Wade doesn't really know that much about this, particularly a RICO case, which is very hard to prosecute. If they were being instructed, wouldn't that be election interference? Oh, arguably it could be. And, you know, we haven't received any answers. Uh, to why he billed two White House visits eight hours apiece. Who was he meeting with? What were they talking about? I mean, since he's billing for the RICO case, it has to be RICO-related, right? Yeah. So, you know, finally, Willis had always insisted, oh, no, there's no coordination with the Biden campaign or the White House. Well, look at the billing records. Right. It seems to implicate that. Right. Well, there and, are other know, things, by the way. Trouble. There she's, are other things to look yeah. at. And, and Breitbart, uh, we haven't gone into it on our own, so we don't know how sure it is. But apparently there was a former yeah. uh, Biden aide who paid the assistant uh, DA down there about $130,000 to help out in some political matters. So there, there were communications between the DA's office in Fulton County and the White House. I, quickly, I want to move to the Supremes taking up Trump's immunity case. Uh, does he have a shot for that with the Supremes? Oh, he absolutely does. I mean, his argument is that I was acting consistent with my duties to uphold the law. And if I had evidence of uh, election impropriety, uh, faulty ballot counting, you know, I ha it's incumbent on my duty to look into it, to make challenges, to yeah. beg for recounts, to file legal challenges. All of that should be protected by immunity. But I think the decision to take the case, David, puts both federal trials brought by special counsel Jack Smith on hold. And I think it likely means those trials will not happen before the presidential election. Well, none of these will. Their, their entire strategy, and it has been coordinated, let's be honest about it, if, if not in, in, in written or spoken word, at least with a nod and a handshake, uh, their whole strategy to prevent Donald Trump from getting into the White House to, to put him in jail before to get a conviction before the election has failed. I mean, all these cases in one way or another are just just falling away. I, I don't think they'll get any kind of conviction very quickly. I don't think they'll get any conviction before the election. Do you? Well, the only case that may actually go to trial is the Alvin Bragg uh, New York case. Uh, but. I, I think Jonathan Turley's take on that is correct. Uh, the professor from George Washington yeah. University he said that case is so weak, right. it may backfire and actually help Donald has. Trump. Yeah, and it I, already has. I think he's right about it. Yeah. Yep. All right, Greg, I'm sorry we had to cut it short, but we had all that breaking news with Donald Trump himself. Thank you for being here. Good to see you, Greg. Just more examples of how desperate Joe Biden is to keep Donald Trump out of the White House. He doesn't trust the voters. He doesn't trust Democrats that hate Donald Trump. He doesn't trust them. And so he's doing it on his own, or he's trying to do it on his own, and it's not working too good. Desperation is living today <laughs> at the Biden White House. 
Well, we've got one more very important thing for you to hear. Brian Kilmeade did an interview with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. It's really, really good. I want you to hear that. And that's up next. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean, wow. <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like... Uh wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like and finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction such a primal feeling Ooh! download raid shadow legends play for free at akio we've been making the best in mobile phones for over 20 years how did we get there by putting ringtones in every commercial that make you think your phone is ringing whether you have a new phone, an old phone, or just leave it on vibrate, we make sure you always hear your phone in our commercials. It's our way of saying, we hear you. So don't be silenced when opportunity calls, pick it up. It's for you. Akio Mobile. 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Yeah. Eight celebrities compete to become the real Baby and Johnny. Look at my Johnny is. Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. I'm going to jump in here. Cut it off before it goes any further. I want to make sure we have time. Brian Kilmeade. You know Kilmeade. He's a morning guy at Fox and Friends on uh, Monday through Friday on Fox News Network. He's really good. One of the best, as a matter of fact, of interviewing people. He's very um, forthright, very deliberate, and he asks the white questions, and pretty much always, no matter who he's interviewing, and he does some really big, important interviews with some really important people, like you're about to hear, Benjamin Netanyahu. But he never lets these people get away without answering whatever the real questions that Kilmeade is asking get answered. And this interview was nothing different. Welcome back. And a a Fox News alert. The prime minister of the Palestinian Authority resigning. Yep. Setting up for a new government in the West Bank as war against America's greatest ally in the Mideast, Israel, still rages. Now, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu joins us live from Jerusalem with an update. I guess the breaking news is this. The cabinet, uh, Mr. Prime Minister, thanks for joining us, has agreed to offer their resignation. But Mahmoud Abbas hasn't agreed to accept it. If they do resign, does that pave the way for an acceptable two state solution? No, well, first of all, I think that's musical chairs. They haven't had an election in the Palestinian Authority for 17 years, so they're just shuffling chairs. Uh, but the real thing we want to see is genuine de-radicalization. They have to stop teaching their children to become terrorists. They have to stop paying terrorists based on the amount of Jews they kill. They have to stop teaching and indoctrinating a whole generation on the annihilation of Israel. That's real reform. That so far has not happened. I hope it does happen, but it so far hasn't happened. As far as the Palestinian state is concerned. Yes, go ahead. Do the Palestinians want a two-state solution, Mr. Prime Minister? Well, unfortunately, I think that what they want is a, is a one-state solution. They don't want a state next to Israel. They want a state 
uh, instead of Israel. And that's why uh, I brought a resolution to the Knesset, our parliament, last week. And 99 out of 120, it's actually 99 to 9, because the rest abstained, voted against the attempt to impose on Israel a Palestinian state. Now, why did they do that? Because we've just had a Palestinian state, a de facto state. Hamas in Gaza had a de facto Palestinian state. And what did they do with it, Brian? They use it to rape women, behead them, burn babies alive, murder children in front of their parents and parents in front of their children, took hostages. That's the equivalent of 29 11s in one day, like 50,000 Americans butchered and 10,000 held hostage, including mothers and children, babies. That's, that's what this state produced. So naturally, you understand there's overwhelming support for my position. It's not an outlier position. It's not a fringe position. The people of Israel are united as never before in saying that what right. we will not accept is a Palestinian state that will endanger Israel. That's rewarding terrorism. This will set a Guinness World of, uh, uh, Book of Records on rewarding terrorists right. after they committed the most atrocious savagery against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. So I want you to hear what Governor Newsom said about your reluctance with the state solution on everything you just outlined. Listen. With regard to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who I've visited and I've worked with in the past, he's doubling down on stupid as it relates to the two-state solution and walking away from that. Let's work to get these hostages home, to work to eliminate Hamas and rebuild Gaza and advance a two-state solution. Are you doubling down on stupid? Well, look, I, I met uh, the governor when he was here, uh, and I hope he had a chance to tour the country because then he would have seen that... Uh, this is not my personal position. It's the position of the people of Israel. They're not stupid. They understand that to just offer a Palestinian state is to give a platform for the uh, uh, repeated attempts to uh, annihilate the Jewish state. And Hamas has already promised that if it has, if it's reconstituted, if it, it, Israel doesn't win the war, then they'll do this October 7th massacre over and over and over again, their words. So I don't think the people of Israel are stupid. I think they're actually very smart. That's why they support my position in achieving total victory, mm -hmm. uh, defeating Hamas, bringing back the hostages, and making sure that right. Gaza doesn't pose a threat to Israel again. And that means that Israel will have to have the overriding security control over that territory for the foreseeable future. That doesn't come with uh, unlimited uh, Palestinian sovereignty. I think, I think right. the people are smart. Does the President Biden that hugged you after October 7th resemble the same one that seems upset with you now, saying your reaction in Gaza has been over the top? What's your reaction to the seemingly withering support from this administration? Look, I appreciate the president's support uh, at the beginning of the war and uh, throughout. Uh, we've had our differences of opinion, but we've uh, been able to agree on, uh, the, you know, on the three war aims, destroying Hamas, bringing back the hostages, uh, and uh, making sure that Gaza is not a threat to Israel. But I think that there are natural differences of opinion. I can tell you one thing, though. You know, I just came out of a meeting with Colonel John Spencer. John Spencer is the world expert on urban warfare. He heads the urban warfare department in West Point. Uh, and he's compared what Israel is doing uh, in trying to fight these terrorists right. who not only 
systematically target ter- uh, civilians, but hide behind their right. civilians. He said that there is no other army that is in the world that has gone to the lengths that Israel has gone to Understood. to prevent civilian casualties. Uh, and, and he's right. Uh, so I don't think our reaction is right. over the top. I think the Israeli army is setting the gold standard of how to fight terrorists embedded in civilian neighborhoods, in hospitals, in schools, and yet minimize the, uh, the ratio of uh, civilian casualties. And I'll tell you, Every civilian casualty is a tragedy, and they're all, they should all be brought to the doorstep of Hamas that is using them as human shields. I want you to hear what Jake Sullivan just warned you guys about. He knows you're going to go into Rafah. He warns you, you better not go in without a plan to get the civilians out. Listen. Talking about more than a million people who have been pushed into this small space in Gaza because of military operations elsewhere. It's also the area where all of the humanitarian assistance comes into Gaza to serve all of Gaza. And so we've been clear that we do not believe that an operation, a major military operation, should proceed in Rafah unless there is a clear and executable plan to protect those civilians, to get them to safety, and to feed, clothe, and house them. And we have not seen a plan like that. Have you heard this plan since he said that yesterday? And have the Americans been briefed on your plan? Well, actually, uh, last night I had a meeting with the general staff and the security cabinet, and the, the army showed us the plan, a double plan, one for the evacuation and humanitarian assistance of the civilian population in Rafah, uh, and second, the elimination of the remaining uh, quarter, roughly, of the uh, uh, Hamas terrorist battalions that are in Rafah. We wouldn't, we can't leave them uh, there because that's like leaving uh, a quarter of ISIS in place in a defined territory. You wouldn't do that, and in fact, you didn't do it. So uh, we're not going to do that either. But we do have a combined plan of evacuating civilians out of harm's way uh, and uh, destroying those battalions. I can tell you that Hamas will be doing everything in their power to make sure that we don't evacuate right. the civilians because they actually try to stop them at gunpoint and often at gunfire. But that's not going to stop us. We won't give them immunity. We'll get the population out. We'll continue the job to achieve total victory. Total victory is how you win the war, and total victory is how you win the peace. You can't win the peace if you don't win the war. I know you've taken out 18 of 24 Hamas battalions, but they said you've only taken out 30% of Hamas higher-ups. Many are hiding in the tunnels uh, below. If America tells you, don't go into Rafah, will you go in anyway? Well, we'll go in, we make our own decisions, obviously, but we'll go in based on the idea of having also the evacuation of the civilians. By the way, the, the, I agree with the U.S. on this. I don't have a, a, a different position because our strategy right now it has always been, from the beginning, to try to get civilians out of harm's way, and we've been largely successful. The ratio of civilians to combatants killed in uh, Gaza uh, is now down below one-to-one, which is just unheard of in this kind of crowded urban warfare. But again, we'll do our best to get as many of them out. They'll have the opportunity to leave. That's not an American uh, position. That's my position. I understand, too, that one of the big stories and that everyone cares most about, especially the Americans, no offense, are the hostages. You have over 130 uh, on behind enemy lines. What could you tell us about those talks in Qatar? The word is, according to U.S. officials, the basic contours of a deal uh, are agreed upon. Would you describe it the same way? Well, I hope so. I think, I think we're there. I'm not sure Hamas is there. They have... 
what I'd call outlandish demands. That's like in another orbit, another planet. They have to come down to reality. Uh, uh, and I think that if that's the case, we'll, we'll be able to have a deal. We certainly want it. I want it. Uh, look, we've already been able to free uh, half the hostages, uh, which is uh, a singular achievement, but we want the remainder too. And I've devoted my life ever since I was a young uh, commander uh, in, a, in a special unit. I myself was wounded right. in an attempt to release uh, the hostages from a hijacked uh, Sabina aircraft. My brother, uh, my older brother was killed at the rate of, while leading the storming party at the raid of Antebe, which right. released 103 uh, Jewish hostages, uh, and we're totally committed. We just had a, a heroic operation in which we released two hostages. We just took them right. out of the jaws of the terrorists. So obviously we want this uh, deal if we can have it. Uh, it depends on Hamas. It's really now their decision because I think uh, I think the ground has been laid, but they have to enter right. the they have to enter the ballpark. They're not they're not in town yet. Only 30 seconds left. I understand uh, efforts have been stepped up against Hezbollah in the north. Do you believe war with Hezbollah is inevitable or closer now than it was before Hamas's attack on October 7th? Hezbollah attacked us on October 8th, the day after the Hamas massacre, uh, and we've ex been exchanging blows ever since. Uh, our goal is to bring back 100,000 people who left the border with uh, Lebanon, with Hezbollah, uh, Israelis, who want to go back right. to their homes. If this can be achieved uh, diplomatically, fine. If not, it'll be achieved militarily. My preference is to achieve it diplomatically, but I can't tell you that... Uh, that uh, Hezbollah right. will cooperate. In any case, we'll get these people back to their homes. And we hope to have you back here and talking about when all the hostages are back. Mr. Prime Minister, thank you very much. That's a wrap on the day at TNN Live, and it's a wrap on the week here. Listen, I want to thank you for joining us. We don't take that lightly. You don't have to come here every day, and most of you do. If you're busy, you'll go grab the podcast after it goes live an hour or so after each show, but you're there because you want facts. We're committed to do just that for you every day. You guys have a great weekend. Spend time with your loved ones. Those you can't be with, speak to them, call them. You should never miss a day making sure the people that are the closest to you in your life, family members, close friends, you let them know that you love and care for them. We all need that, don't we? So you have a great weekend, and until we get together again on Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central, you have a good time. Enjoy yourself. We'll see you Monday.